Welcome to the Smart Tech Check Podcast, hosted by Mark Vina, your home for candid, insightful, and provocative conversations about the smart home, home automation, security, smartphones, PC and console gaming, and much more. Hello, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, host of the Smart Tech Check Podcast. Today is Friday, July 21st, 2023. Uh, can't wait to do today's podcast because the Yankees are depressing me so much. Stuart, I know, so you're going to laugh about this, but I, I, I would rather watch reruns of Gilligan's Island than watch the Yankees. But anyway, joining me today for a fun podcast is John Quain, who writes for the New York Times, Smart Cities, and Tom's Guide, Stuart Walpin, who scribes for Popular Mechanics, AARP, Techlicious, Investopedia, and other wonderful publications, and Rob Pegarero. Uh, who, by the way, was the inspiration for the Ken character in the new Bond, uh, the new Barbie movie. Uh, <laughs> I had to say that. Who writes about tech developments at PC Mag, Fast Company, and other publications? Guys, how are you doing each today? Good. Very good. Very good. Forward to Oppenheimer tomorrow. <laughs> Stuart, you know what? I bet you were the inspiration for the Oppenheimer, uh, Oppenheimer yeah. character. Well, I hope it blows up. No, that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> I have become death. What's the famous line? I have, uh, become, I have become death, the destroyer of worlds. Worlds, yeah. You couldn't make that up. You only from the Book of the Dead. Yeah. Will, will you, when you get back from watching Oppenheimer, will you then watch Doctor Strange Love as a sort of palate cleanser? <laughs> you, you, yeah. you know, you know what's really funny. By the way, I saw an article the other day. That, of course, only in only. I don't think Angel Lloyd Webber is involved in it, but there's going to do a musical on Doctor Strange Love. Someone is that that could be actually, you know, that that might might work. okay, then that, <laughs> I heard wow. that. That, um, I that don't know where to begin. Well, anyway, we got we got uh, some time constraints here, so let's uh tackle, and we've got so much fun stuff to talk about uh today here. Let us talk about first of all, chat GPT continues to, con uh, and AI in general, to consumers to kind of um, consume the uh, the media landscape. Uh, there are rumors percolating that Apple is uh, has been working on a chat GPT-like capability. We've already talked as a group before that, right. you know, Apple really has been mum on the whole Gen AI category right. you know, in iOS 17 is coming. And by the way, I did download iOS 17. I was brave enough. And the, 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 their, their <laughs> new AI feature on the text is actually quite, quite a bit of an improvement over what they had before. But let's talk a little bit about that and maybe broaden the topic in terms of, you know, Apple obviously has to see what's going on. They obviously are not silly. There's, pro there's probably some type of revenue opportunities that they see in, in some way, shape or form. But Rob, from your perspective, how do you kind of unpack this whole topic now that we kind of know that they're gonna do some type of chat BT like thing in the future? I'd want to know how they square this with their privacy stance, because the whole point of AI is it, is it learns from doing over and over and over again. Apple's traditional concept is it's all on device. It stays on your iPad. It doesn't leave, which means the, the iPad is no, it can't get any smarter than what it knows from you alone, which Apple would say that's the point. Uh, and the other problem, of course, are you going to want to trust an AI from the company behind, I'm sorry, Siri, Spoke up this iPad. Um, you know, they have not really kept up in that whole space already. So I don't know. I wish them the best of luck. <laughs> <laughs> well, but Stuart, 
and you were good enough to forward me the article this morning. Uh, but the, um, and by the way, I, I did see that on the news earlier this morning. Our good old government is, you know, trying to rope a bunch of companies that are involved in AI. It was not a bad group, although I, I didn't see any silicon groups, which to me is equally important. I mean, I didn't see Qualcomm on that list. I didn't see, um, um, I didn't see NVIDIA on that list. But, you know, as we've talked about before, the, the, and I'm really concerned about it, and I just get more concerned about it every day, this whole notion that the silicon companies are not stepping up to provide tools, at least yet, so you can detect when a deep fake appears. That's to me, you know, there's a lot of other issues wrapped around the privacy issue that Rob has referred to. But I would settle, at least for the time being, you know, some type of solution that allowed, and they talked about watermarking this group. Well, you know, we're going to watermark stuff, although watermarks are very easy to defeat. You know, you can cut that out of the content. Is it a watermark, a, a visual watermark, watermark that can't be detected? I find that hard to believe. If it's a digital watermark that you can scan with an app with your iPhone that will give you, that's, it's you know, it's, it's, um, uh, invisible to the uh, to the naked eye, but uh, an app can somehow detect it. That would be a step forward, you know. But how do you kind of square this with all the the, the rhetoric from this morning that these companies are going to try to self-regulate? Good luck with that. But anyway, Stuart, let me turn it over. To the floor. Well, just to expand upon what you had mentioned briefly about the article I sent you, I don't know if everybody knows, but the Biden administration this morning announced the uh, voluntary initiative and some guidelines for AI uh, that was joined by seven companies, including Google and Microsoft. Um, uh, not Apple, by the way. Apple was not <laughs> on that list, and they're not on another list of, of, of government proposed standards that we'll be talking about in, in a little while. Um, I think the companies, the AI companies, understand the uh, public concern over this technology. And right now, Apple isn't making a big deal out of this. This is all stories that are being generated from the outside. And from what I understand, Apple right now is using its own AI, uh, which is based on Google Jax. The Apple effort is called Ajax which is a whole other Western culture kind of thing, but we'll leave that to the side for the moment. But they're using it primarily for internal purposes right now to test new products and new functionalities. So it's not really a public thing yet. They're not doing anything with it outside of internal um, usage. And if they are going to decide to go more outwardly with it, it will probably take a while. Um, and I'm with Rob on this, on the conflicts that they're probably feeling about the privacy side, since AI relies upon incoming data. Now, of course, Siri is already doing some of this. Siri is sort of a learning system, and it learns about consumers. So it's already got some practice with Siri. And so um, it, it, I don't think it's as, as long a bridge to build um, as, as we may think. But um, from the from what the government is doing this morning and trying to get these these companies doing it, I think the companies recognize that even more so than uh, IoT security, that AI poses a grave danger. And I think that it will behoove the companies. The, the companies will be more motivated to try to curtail the negative aspects of it, if only to save their own necks, either in the consumer marketplace, from possible litigation, as well as overburdening government regulation. Yep. So, so John, from your perspective, do you think Apple, when I think of Apple, I think Apple has a reputation that's a couple of notches above you know the, the the silicon valley fold in terms of being 
fairly altruistic. You know, they're not out to, you know, they, 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 and I think they have demonstrated in many ways that they're, they understand the importance of privacy. But the flip side is, you know, when I look at it from a business standpoint, <clears throat> smartphone business is slowing down. Um, the, uh, they've got issues. I mean, they're still growing, but certainly not at the, the, the frantic pace that they were. Vision Pro is not going to be in the short term a replacement for 25, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, lifting the, the, the Apple back to its revenue heights. Um, but surely there are voices whispering in Tim Cook's ear saying, hey, listen, you know, this chat GPT thing, there's an opportunity there for us to generate some business. Do you think Apple has the, 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 the stamina to resist those, those voices whispering in his ear? Um, so I, I, go ahead. Yeah, I don't think they do. I mean, I think everybody has to have, you know, the 7-Eleven has to have an AI play today. It's, it's, it's just it's <laughs> like you have to. I mean, um, so I, I think that's that's forced upon them. I mean, there are ways. It depends what they do. Remember, this kind of AI is still pretty stupid, right? The large language models are pretty dumb. They don't really do a lot or understand very much or have a lot of context or any of those things. So they're it's fun. It's kind of interesting, but it's still, you know, error ridden. And I'm not even sure they can get much better. They keep saying, well, it'll get better. Uh, not the way the technology works right now. They probably can't get a lot better or more. What I mean by better is more accurate. But I think there is an Apple play in the sense that if it's on my system and it's just what I have in the cloud and it's a tool to help me find things and, and uh, make it easier. The whole thing about Apple is making everything easier. Then I do think they have a real play here. That technology could apply to that in a very limited space. It's mm -hmm. actually pretty accurate. If you limit the context, if you keep it small, and then you don't have the privacy issue, potentially you don't have the privacy issue if you stick to your own stuff, basically. So I think they do, there is definitely a play there for them. And I think, you know, it's just like when they introduced the graphical user interface and took the mouse from zero, uh, Xerox Park. It's sort of like that. I think that's their play. If they do that, that could be really helpful. Yes. Well, it's, it's, you know, we'll be talking about this more because it's hard to react to, to rumors. Right. We've got to see what they come up. It, it, we've got to see what they um, pull the veil back, uh, the uh, curtain back on. But I certainly think they're going to do something. I, it's just, I think it's too hard for them to ignore. This is my fun topic, you know. <laughs> and John, we're going to start with you on this. Let me just opine for a second because I know you're close friends with Elon Musk. You play golf with him all the time. But here's the big thing. You know, they had this big rollout. No question about it. They, they, the world, they caught the world's attention. Um, you know, they had massive signups, you know, but there, there was a, a couple of articles that came out this morning that the excitement may be stalling, you know, and, uh, and I don't know whether it's, well, I think it's, I, I personally think it's due to a couple of things. I think it was a bit of a botched rollout in that it's really right now a mobile only platform. I, I can't use a social media platform that doesn't have a desktop component. I can't speak for you guys, but I don't sit there all day long doing the Twitter thing or the LinkedIn thing with, you know, uh, texting that way. It just doesn't work for me. Uh, so that's the number one problem. There's a lot of other feature deficiencies when you compare it uh, to Twitter. So I think that's a problem. And the other issue, and we'll, John, we'll start with you on this. You know, if you've been on Twitter with all its foibles, and God knows you could do a speech, John, <laughs> on the foibles of Twitter and Elon Musk. 
the, the fact of the matter is, is that it's been around a long period of time. And if you've built up 10, 20, 30, 40, 50,000, a million followers, that took you years to build. And even if you're, especially in that kind of middle ground, not the, the Kim Kardashians and not the big high profiles where, you know, when they show up on a different platform, they automatically get a lot of followers just to, to show up. You know, the folks like us, which have you know taken years to build our audience, you really want to start again, you know. And, and by the way, and I have to I have to say this is that Threads has already gotten a reputation of being kind of of, of aspiring to be the Disneyland of social media interaction, which there is a place for, you know, but it's not terribly exciting, you know. So, John, take it away. I, you know, I think there's no, um, you know, there's no brand loyalty in social media. I think that people need to remember how quickly you can switch over. I mean, it's true, you know, people have built businesses and things on Twitter and they have, as you say, a lot of followers, but really I could care less, you know, about that brand. And most people could care less. And most kids like Twitter, Schmitter, they're not on it, right? They're just not on it. So I, I don't think there's any value there. And I think, you know, some, you know, really botched basic technical things yes. at Twitter has been a serious problem. And I, I think that threads just shows how easy is it? Why don't the four of us start one? I mean, there were things like diaspora before. It's really simple. It's not quote unquote, it's not rocket science. Okay. I had to say that <laughs> this one isn't rocket science and it shows just how easy it is. I don't know about you guys, but I had so many people follow me so fast on threads. I didn't even say I was on threads or anything. I didn't mention it at all. And I already had hundreds of people like boom, 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 boom. It's remarkable how rapidly that grew. And how I don't think it's going to slow down. How many followers do you have on, on uh, threads so far? I, I haven't even looked. I didn't even look. I just kept, I was just shocked that people I hadn't heard of for years were suddenly like, well, that, that is, that is, that is true. So, you know, so, so, so I think it shows how vulnerable Twitter really is. I think Twitter is could be gone, you know, if something happened, could be gone in months. Really, remember, we've had lots of other social media platforms come and go really rapidly. Right. Well, and it is true. I mean, I'll tell you what was a bit botched to me. I hate that word, but it was. I think the rollout from a feature standpoint was a bit botched. That's my view. Right. Um, I, I do think, though, that, like, for example, and I don't know why, but I've got 8,000 followers on, on, on Instagram. Now, I don't use Instagram a lot because, again, that doesn't play to the audience that we typically talk to. But what was strange to me is I thought, you know, what we kind of call is that if those Instagram followers instantly got transferred over the threads, that, that at least so far, they haven't allowed that capability. So, Stuart, what's your perspective? Did they kind of screw this up a bit? I don't know if screw up is, the, is, the, is quite the right word. Mm -hmm. I mean... I, I'm so of mixed minds on this because you would love to see competitors in this marketplace so it's not controlled by, you know, one monolithic entity. But the competitor is another monolithic entity, right. which, which is a little scary to me that, you know, as John said, it's easy to start up, not that easy to get people to, to join. Mastodon has been around for, what, more than a year? And they really haven't been able to right. do anything to draw, to draw anybody to the platform. And the fact that you could instantly transfer all your Instagram uh, followers to to uh, or at least choose from your Instagram uh, followers was a really, I think, really juiced its its initial thing because they just made it so easy to move all your followers. For me, uh, my 
what I do, what little I do on Twitter, I'm not a big social media fan to begin with, but what I do on Twitter is completely different from what I do on Instagram. I think those are such different platforms. And I think the problem is that Threads is sort of like a text-heavy Instagram. And for me personally, I haven't been able to really figure out how to, how to transfer my Twitter followers on, on to threads. And I think it would be very helpful if either a third party or if somebody else allowed me to do somehow the way that you can uh, transfer from Android to Apple. There are third party software yeah. as well as other software that allows you to do that transfer and transfer your contact list and whatever. I think that's what's really needed for threads because the people I follow on Instagram, not the people I follow on Twitter. Right. It's just a, it's a, you know, for Twitter, I use Instagram far more for looking at dog videos and Beatles stuff and, you know, more, more frivolous kind of things. And I'm, the Twitter is a little more quote unquote serious, I guess. And I don't find that threads has gotten to that level yet. I'm following people I want to follow. I'm also not finding a lot of new people to follow. And, and I don't think the platform is making it easy for me to discover the people that I follow on Twitter on Threads, so it, it's still too Instagram texty for yes. me. So, so Rob, this, John and, and John and Stewart surprisingly yeah. are making very good points. Um, <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. uh, but the thing that just occurs to me, though, is again, I know you know Twitter has become Elon Musk. You know, he's the Oppenheimer. I am death. <laughs> I am the destroyer of worlds. I, I just love that line. I, I, you know, the thing that I struggle with, though, is, you know, as you know, and I think all of us are big free speech advocates, and there is some hypocrisy, you know, in terms of, I think Twitter has, since Elon Musk took over, I think he has done some good things. I also think that he's the, the big kahuna there, and if he doesn't like something, you know, he sometimes acts in an anti-free speech type of way, which is which is the entire, he, you know, he right. rails against that. Right. So... Do you think that Thread's desire, because we all think competition is a good thing, beyond all these issues, do you think Thread's desire, and I think I think I saw one of the meta executives describe Thread's, they want it to be something free of political rhetoric. Uh, I think it was political rhetoric and um, was it maybe um, po uh, political rhetoric primarily. Is that a very exciting place to be? You know, oh, and, business, and I think business related, that was the other topic. They didn't want threads to really become very heavy on business related stuff, which, by the way, is, you know, our, you know, our bailiwick. So right. do you think that, Rob, do you really think that that has a main, it, it, it's that appealing from a mainstream standpoint? Maybe because a lot of people, you know, they don't want to get involved in those little arguments. Twitter can be so tiresome in that sense. But I think Threads has got multiple problems of its own. The biggest thing for everyone using it is there's only this algorithmic feed, which is shoving people I don't follow and I don't want to hear from in my face. So yeah. that makes it useless for following breaking news. Like if, if you can't even see, and the fact they don't have a chronological feed at all is kind of nuts. Um, my sense really, combine that with the fact that it's not available in Europe at all, which is not some fringe market. You know, that's not like we can take care of that later on. Uh, I don't know. I was bouncing this off a tech policy type in DC last night. And I, I think this looks to me like people at Meta looked at Twitter flailing around and especially that rate limiting nonsense, which is, you know, that's shooting yourself in the foot, then taking a closer look, putting another round in the chamber, firing again. 
they thought that the James Carville quote, when the other guy is drowning, throw him an anvil. So they're like, let's get this thing on the market now. Right. And in a commercial sense, it does have something that Mastodon probably never will. And Blue Sky does not, which is the hashtag brands because they were already on Instagram. So it was super easy for Amtrak to pivot and start. And they had a great meme dunking on Elon Musk's nonsense talk about verbal government approval for the DC New York Hyperloop, which right. is not a thing and has never been a thing. Amtrak tweeted something like, is this a safe space to talk about this? Right. So th this could actually work for that purpose. Yeah. Uh, for the purposes of replacing Twitter, no. And I'm increasingly thinking nothing will. Like Elon yeah. Musk is destroying the value of Twitter to advertisers, to journalists, to people on it, to anyone but his creepy reply guys. And he's destroying it in a way that is not yielding a single successor. And probably there, there will not be any sort of town square, which, by the way, Twitter never was. It maxed out at like 23% of the U.S. population. So that's way below YouTube and Facebook. So... Yeah, I have issues with threads. And, and yeah, the big thing is <laughs> fleeing from Twitter into the single biggest social platform on earth is not really solving my problems about having some billionaire with his own whims controlling, you know, the, the way I interact with other humans online. Right. So, yeah, yeah. 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 one thing we're going to have to see how it works out is the pledge that threads will interoperate with ActivityPub based social platforms, which is basically Mastodon, which right. is a big thing for them to do saying, you know, we will, you know, let you basically take whenever right. they roll this out, which who knows, take your username at threads.net, move it to another instance, another server and be done with meta. And for that matter, you know, you would be able to get past this stupid algorithmic feed by using another activity pub client like Mastodon to read threads when, and if that happens, could be a whole new ball game. Yeah. Right. Can I could I just like add a couple of things? One is that MySpace point, right? That was the first thing out. They were huge. We were invested in that. We had songs and pictures. If you remember, a lot of material gone, right? So nobody really cares about that. The other is iterative. That's all Zuckerberg, right? Those people grew up on you throw it out there. We did it over the weekend, which is kind of what Threads looks like. They did it over the weekend and they'll iteratively finally fix it, you know, as they get it out. That's what they do. Um, they're not building cars, so who cares? And oh, you, you, John, John, you can say that micro, that's the history of Microsoft strategy with Windows. It is, except Microsoft actually were trying to get it right the first time. <laughs> Whereas Zuckerberg and those people aren't even trying to get it right the first time. Uh, and and the, the last thing is the directory. Like, all you need is a directory, right? The whole problem with Mastodon is that it's all fragmented and distributed. If it had one single directory, it would have killed already. I mean, I think there would be two things driving Twitter into the ground. It would be Mastodon and this. So I, I'm, I'm like for some of these people put together it really fast just for the heck of it. It's pretty remarkable how what inroads it's made, really. Well, we got to hit the next topic. But the, only, the last comment that I'm going to make before we go to the next slide, our last topic, is that I know you're all going to know this because you're, you, know, you guys share a lot of the interest in the same type of entertainment that I do. If you recall, Threads was the name of a, a movie during the 80s. That, it was a BBC uh, UK movie about a, and by the way, it was a, 
a thousand times better than the day after about what I a new I should not see it if I ever want to sleep again. Oh my god! I mean, <laughs> like not 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 a good day movie. Whoever, whoever watched again again whoever came up with the the brand the brand term. Let's use threads. You know, when you Google threads, that movie comes up in the top searches. So anyway, if you want to get not you know if you want to get nightmares at night about what a nuclear war would be like 10 years after the fact. Uh, watch that. Okay, let's hit our last topic. Um, uh, Rob, the White House is new. I love this. Cyber Trust Mark Security for IoT. U.S. Cyber Trust Mark. It's a shield Thank with God little for the government. Thank God for the government. That's all I yeah. can say. You know, so go ahead, Rob. So, yeah, this, <laughs> this is the Fed's attempting. The parallel, the, the, for instance, the, the chair of the Federal Communications Commission evoked in a press call about this Monday was like the EPA's Energy Star, Mark. Yeah. Where... There's a standard set of tests, devices that go through it. The manufacturers can use that in their branding and their ads. And it tells you that in this case, this fridge, this TV, whatever, is this much more efficient than the others. It will save you money down the road. This is an attempt to take the same concept, again, have it be a voluntary effort with a sort of squishier target, which is what makes an IoT thing secure. And they're going to build this off a document, the National Institute of Standards and Technologies, released in September, which lists good things like, you know, data should be encrypted when it's stored, when it's transmitted. You need to have an automatic update process, or at the very least, something with consistent notifications when an update is available. You know, good first principles kind of things you want in an IoT, a smart home gadget. And it does have the advantage because the White House can get people to sign they can be a little more persuasive than when, for instance, Mark and I, we talked about this, the matter smart home standard, which is an attempt to say, here is this label that says this thing interoperates with everything else bearing the same matter logo, which is like three arrows pointing towards each other. It's got some security and privacy features that are part of the standard as well. But the connected, see, what is the essence? Connectivity standards. Line. Connectivity yeah, standards. Not, not Confederate States of America. Uh, CSA, the, the industry group behind it, they can't exactly tell an Amazon or a Best Buy, hey, your signage is terrible, which it is. Like if you go to Best Buy's site, I think right now, you can ask it to show you smartphone devices that work with Cortana, who's dead, <laughs> and not matter, which is actually very much a living standard that has a lot of industry buy-in. So I think this is a good idea. We will have to see what sort of specific features you need to have to get qualified for this, whether it will be what sort of retesting and recertification will be involved, how many products support it, um, what will the retail, the customer experience be like. You're supposed to be able to scan a QR code and get a detailed breakdown of here are the things this thing does to keep your data and your home safe. Right. Uh, so I think it's a good idea. Somebody else could have done it, but nobody else has really successfully. So I wish the administration the best of luck with this. Well, yeah. Yeah, so let me jump in because I want my thoughts on this. I, I mean, we all agree that I think the potential for this is 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 good. The intent, one of the few things I agree that the Biden administration is doing that has good intentions. Okay. Now, having said that, it's a little bit different from like an FDA label that they put on food that says, "Hey, if you eat this, this has so many calories and it's this chemicals in it, and if you're fool enough to eat a lot of this, it will make you sick over time." The differences with this is that security, as you know, I know all three of you know this, is a moving target. So if you, you know, you if you establish a baseline, hey, 
if you buy this product, you should feel good about it being secure. Doesn't that, Stuart, let the bad guy say, well, if that's the threshold, I'm going to do something else that's going to get around that threshold to compromise a product. So could this backfire a bit? Or am I, I'm, well, a couple, I'm, a couple of things that I, I, I'm, with, I'm with Rob on this. I think this is a fabulous idea. And if it takes off the way that Energy Star did, remember, Energy Star started with computers and I think servers back in the mid-90s. And it grew into a very well-respected program. Um, so a, a lot of this is in the execution. So um, the first thing is the consumer facing side of this, I think, is really, really important and addresses some of what you just mentioned, which is when you look at an Energy Star label, there's a number on it. And if you go, look, say, at air conditioners and you could see the numbers of the air conditioners to where they are on the Energy Star, that's a really easy way. Or the same yep. thing with restaurant ABCD health rating. You can The consumer can immediately make that direct comparison between product A and product B. And so the QR code is nice, but considering the amount of information, the amount of security concerns that need to be addressed. No, it's, it's like the list the list of things that you have to check off that you agree to the uh, to the terms uh, um, things whenever you open up a new document. I think it's your code. It's nice, but nobody's going to look at it. I think a label such as the food ingredient label, which is the carbohydrates and the sugars and the salts, that has a list of the security things with a number next to them that ranks how this product is. The second problem, problem is is that initially what the FCC has announced is that the companies who will be running the diagnostics or the labs on this are going to be the CSA and CTA. The problem is that is the wolf checking out the hen house um, or the fox checking out the hen house. These are organizations that are made up of member companies who all have a stake in what these rankings are going to be. Now, the Energy Star ratings are EPA. There's a division within EPA that does this as sort of an independent sort of thing. So I think while initially getting the CSA and CTA to do these rankings, I think eventually they're going to have to move to an independent third-party um, lab or or service so they have some degree of public trust about it now mm -hmm. they did address the zero day and a lot of the other you know the fact that the hackers are always ahead of the protectors in this and they're addressing that in this and they're and that's going to be part of whatever standards that they build into this that they know they're going to have to have to recertify and what that time frame is we don't know yet and whether or not these companies are going to have to go under undergo con products are going to have to go undertake constant testing and how new scores are going to be able to be generated for products that are going to have physical labeling on them. So I think these are all problems that they understand that they are going to have to face. Um, but I think a lot of what my concern is or my interest is, is the consumer face of it and how they're going to either number or label them so consumers can do a quick comparison and B, who the testing lab, the independent testing lab is ultimately going to be that will have a degree of consumer trust. So John, I'll give you the last, uh, last word on this. I mean, I think, I mean, let's face it. There are tens and tens, hundreds of millions of IOT devices in, in people's homes today. And that number is only going to get higher. Yeah, the time. And, and the thing that's interesting is that, Again, I always go back to war sometimes. God forbid there's some type of conflict with us, with China or someplace else. 
there are going to be cyber attacks that are going to be ruth that are going to be incredibly um, unsettling. I don't, and I won't you know get into it into detail, but we all know that we need something like this, even at a national security level standpoint. So, what's your position? Do you think that do you agree completely with Stewart that there needs to be some type of independent entity outside of the CSA um, and uh, the other entity? Again, I'm a bit, I, I love the intention. I just hope the execution turns out to be something that you, you get the result we're looking for. Yeah, I, I agree. The, there should be some independent the verification of some of this or testing. It's difficult because, especially in cybersecurity, everybody thinks they're smarter than everybody else in cybersecurity. So every company thinks that they have a lock on the honeypots and knows what's going on with ransomware better than the next person. Uh, it's it's tricky. Um, I do think there is a problem in that, it, you know, the, st the other thing about cybersecurity is, do you go with off the shelf that everybody's using or do you use your own proprietary stuff? And the argument about going off the shelf with off the shelf stuff is, well, you can fix it. There are a lot of people working on it and they can keep reinforcing it and patching holes and doing things like that. The trouble is the attack vector is huge. Now you've created this giant target for people to go after, right? So if you're using Windows or a, you know, uh, one of the main browsers, that's just a huge target. And in the way doing this is going to create a target. It didn't even exist before. Because once right. you have these layers that you're supposed to meet, that's going to be my target as an attack. And that's exactly what I'm concerned about. That's exactly right. what and I'm that, about. That's definitely a problem. Um, so, I mean, but you could look at it the other way. Well, if everybody's doing it, there are a lot of people patching it and fixing it all the time. So it's going to be stronger, better, from that point of view. And that and that's just a philosophical thing about cybersecurity. The other thing that's important about like referring to Energy Star, there are other things like NCAP as well. And they're all voluntary, but people now, all those companies would not produce products that didn't meet Energy Star or didn't do NCAP in vehicles because consumers want it. And they, what's gonna be important about this is if consumers, as Stuart's point, like if it makes it understandable to me, and then I want that, that's really going to drive its success because I just won't use something or buy something that doesn't have that. And that, that will really help. And so I think it could be a really good thing that way. I'll throw out two benchmarks to judge this. Number one, does this kill off the market for random cheap connected cameras that don't have the certification and will never get it? Number yeah. two, the companies behind those start faking the cyber trust mark label on their devices <laughs> and, and hopefully get kicked off by Amazon at some point. Because yeah, when the bad guys start trying to, to spoof the, the trust label, then clearly you've gotten the spot in consumers' heads. Yeah. Well, yeah. guys, we're going to have to wrap it up here because we've already gone beyond the 30 minutes, but it's been a great, um, a great conversation. We can all hope that uh, <laughs> it lives up to its potential, shall, shall I say. Um, but guys, we, again, thanks for taking the time to join me for today's podcast. For our viewing and listening audience, thanks for making the Smart Tech Tech Podcast part of your day or commute. Please make sure that you hit the like and subscribe buttons at the end of today's podcast or use these on-screen QR codes to connect with me. You can also follow me on Twitter at Mark Vita Tech Guy. And until next time, have a great week. And guys, make sure you go see the new Barbie movie. I know that's exactly what you're going to do this weekend. <laughs> nice, guys. Thanks. Thanks.